All right, good morning, everyone. Welcome to Infusion Church. It's good to see all of you. If you could find your seats, I would appreciate it. Thank you. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tom Wing. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at Infusion Church. And um, some of you may have been expecting uh, Matt Ortiz to be preaching this morning. In fact, I was expecting Matt Ortiz to be preaching this morning. Uh, But I got an early morning call from Matt this morning that Shannon had fallen and broken her leg. So... She, they're at the hospital right now, getting her taken care of. So, um, yeah, so be, let's be praying for them. And we'll pray for them here in, in just, just a moment when we, when we pray uh, for the sermon. So that's why they're not here this morning, and that's why you're stuck with me. So uh, we're going to be talking about biblical community for the glory of God, and this kind of fits in with our church life series uh, that we're in right now. Our text will be... Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12, and we're going to read that in a little bit, but before we read that, I want to give you kind of a little uh, context that leads into what we're going to be talking about uh, this morning. So uh, I'm going to talk about community, but before we, we get too far, I want to just kind of give you a few markers of biblical community, and you're going to hear me use that word a lot over and over and over, and you will hear us generally use that word community uh, a lot here, and I want you to track with, with what I mean, with what we're talking about, and at least kind of have a picture in, in your own mind of, uh, of, of what I'm talking about and, and where we're going. I'm, what I'm not talking about is I'm not talking about a commune uh, or anything like that, and this is not meant to be a, a complete, all-inclusive definition of biblical community. I'm sure I'll miss some important things, but I just want to give you some markers of what a biblical community looks like. So, first of all, it's a group of people whose lives have been and are being wholly transformed by Jesus Christ. They acknowledge it is only by God's grace alone as displayed in Jesus Christ's sacrificial life, death, and resurrection that they can be reconciled to God and enjoy healthy relationship with God, their Heavenly Father. They pursue holiness through obedience to the commandments of God and seek to continually grow in the grace and knowledge of their Savior, Jesus Christ. They aim to apply the redemptive work of the gospel of grace and truth to every aspect of life. They live life prioritized for the glory of God, encourage fellow Christians to become more and more like Jesus, and share the life-transforming good news about Jesus with people in their sphere of influence. They acknowledge their need to never stop pursuing healthy, growing relationship with God, with one another, and people in their sphere of influence, or you could say their neighbors. And that would be fulfilling the great commandment and the great commission. Now, I know that was kind of a lot of markers there. We've tried to state this a little more concisely in our mission statement. And it reads like this. Leading people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family. And this is what we're all about. And if we're going to lead people to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family, then there's a built-in aspect, excuse me, then there's a built-in aspect of community. 
So why do we use that, that word uh, so often? And why do we say things like, you did not go to church, you are the church? Why do we have missional communities or, or crowded houses, which are a group of people who join one another and walking through this life-changing relationship with Jesus together, we encourage one another to, to love God, to love each other, and, and to love our neighbors? And why do we have DNA groups, which are groups of, of two or three men or two or three women who spend time together for discipleship, nurture, and accountability? And why do we gather together on a Sunday morning like this when we could be at home sleeping or watching the game or enjoying the rainy day? And why are we trying to build all of these things that I just mentioned into our identity as a local church? So the reason that we're looking at our text today in First Peter is because it gives us a picture of who we're to be as a community, and we're going to attempt to, to answer the question, why is community so important to our spiritual life and the life of the church? Why is community so important to our spiritual life and the life of the church? Before we answer that question, though, I, I want to be honest with you about the, the motivation behind what I'm saying this morning. This idea of community is something I think that's attractive to most people. As I speak to many different people, I find that everybody wants community, right? Everybody wants to be a part of something, but it seems that so many people, and I find that especially in the church, so many people are frustrated because they're not finding what they think they're looking for, and that includes me. I've found many times I've been extremely frustrated saying things like, God, you know, I want community, God. I know that I need it, but it just never seems to work out like I imagined it would. And so I get so frustrated when I don't get what I want. I believe that God's taught me a few things through that frustration. And to be honest with you, if I wouldn't have been frustrated and had to deal with that and kind of wrestled through that, I probably wouldn't have learned any of these things, so that's God's grace upon my life. First of all, here's what I see, and I'm, I'm going to speak in some generalizations here, so if it fits, wear it. If not, you can just let it pass by. But most people, including me, want the benefits of community, but not a lot of people understand what it takes to have community. And we're going to talk about the cost a little bit later, but I think that this stems from a fundamental misunderstanding of the purpose of the church. Many Christians think the church exists primarily to serve them. And whether we admit we, we believe that or, or not, oftentimes our, our posture that we take toward the church indicates that, that we do. I want to challenge that way of thinking and submit that the church is not exist just to serve us. Rather, it, it may be more proper to say that we exist to serve the church community. When I say the church, I, I don't just mean infusion church, this, this group of people here. I mean the church that, that Jesus died for, that Ephesians 5 tells us about. It says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. 
It's not just talking about this local community. It's talking about the community of all who Christ died to redeem for all time. The spiritual family of God. Secondly, I've noticed that, that we, including me, often get frustrated when the things that we're passionate about are not happening in our community. For example, you, you might have a desire to feed the homeless and the hungry in, in your city, and, and that's a fantastic desire that can be used uh, for God's glory. What happens, though, is it becomes frustrating when everyone else in, in your community is not ambitious about the same thing as you are. And it's tempting to say, well, you know what? We just, we just don't have the same, the same passion. So you know what? I'll find a different uh, group of people who, who share my passions, and, and I'll fit in better with them. The problem with, with that way of, of thinking is that it, it doesn't see the church as a body. Romans 12 tells us, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. And so this, this scripture right there in, in Romans and others talk about the church as, as a body where each individual part is essential to the proper function of, of the whole. So when I'm frustrated that everyone's not passionate about what I am passionate about. It's, it's like I, I'm saying to the body, it's like I'm a hand, and I'm looking at the body saying, you, you know, there's just no hands in that body. So I can't be a part of that. But here's the truth. If we're a body with no hands, and you're a hand, then we need you. Are you tracking with, with what I'm saying? I want to encourage us to be patient and to be gracious with one another and at the same time acknowledge that we do need one another if we're going to function as God intended us to. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. A lot of this was kind of burst out of some frustration I've, I've had trying to walk through what does community look like. And I'm, I'm certain that some of you have, have had those frustrations as well. So, so we're in that together. Here's where I hope we're going with this. I want us to value authentic biblical community, and I want us to see that we're made for it. God created us to have that desire. It's essential to the life of the church and our spiritual well-being. I also want us to step into reality, acknowledging that walking with God is, is living in a battle zone, and community is no exception. There are roadblocks that will try to trip us up, try to confuse us, try to frustrate us, try to slow us down. But by the grace of God, through the redemptive work of, of Jesus, we can enjoy being a part of healthy community that lives for the glory of God, encouraging our fellow believers towards spiritual maturity and sharing the life, the life-changing good news about Jesus with people in our sphere of influence. I, I want to be clear. I, I don't have all the answers. I don't, I don't pretend to think that we'll find all of them today. But my hope is to keep us moving in, in the right trajectory and hopefully answer the question, why is community important to the Christian life? Okay, all that to get to our text. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. I'll read it and we'll pray. And then we'll keep trucking forward. 
1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 12. It'll be up here, I think, as well. You can follow along. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we acknowledge our need for you. Lord, you have placed within us a desire uh, to be in community. We acknowledge that's from you, and yet we get frustrated as that kind of gets fleshed out, as that plays out in our lives, Lord. Um, help us to not lose sight of you in, in the midst of trying to figure all of that out, Lord, but to know that you are the answer, and you are the centerpiece, and you are our identity, you are our everything, Lord. So we look to you this morning for answers and for guidance, Father. We pray that you would order our steps and direct our paths, that you would teach us through your word. By your Holy Spirit of truth, you would guide us into the truth, Lord. I pray for Matt and Shannon right now, Lord, as they're at the hospital, that you would uh, comfort Shannon, that you would be gracious to her as she's in pain, Lord, uh, that you would give the doctors wisdom as they uh, help repair her leg, Lord. I pray that you would also be with with Matt as he's uh, alongside her, that he would be able to encourage and shepherd the heart of his wife toward you, Lord. Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you would empower me to proclaim boldly uh, what your word tells me to proclaim this morning, Lord. Please be gracious to us as, as hearers, Lord, and minister to our hearts by your Holy Spirit. May we treasure you, Lord, above everything. In Jesus' name, amen. So first of all, community is important because we were made for it. God created us for it, and it reflects the creation order. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. Amen. Genesis chapter 1, 28, speaking of Adam and Eve, says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. And so there's this emphasis on community from the beginning. God wanted man to be in relationship. It's not good for him to be alone. And then he tells Adam and Eve, be fruitful, essentially make other communities. Our, our very existence depends upon community and God fashioned us so that we would function most effectively when we're not alone. And we're warned about shunning healthy relationships in Proverbs Verse 18.1 says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. Another word in Scripture for someone who rejects sound judgment is a fool. So if, if we reject, if we isolate ourselves, God tells us we're, we're foolish. Secondly, it, we're made for community because it reflects the image of God. 
God is a relational being, and, and God exists in this perfect, eternal community. And we see this in, in texts like Genesis 1 and, and John 1, and we're going to look at Genesis 1, but I would encourage you later to, to, to break open your Bibles, maybe this afternoon or this week, and, and look at John 1. Genesis 1.26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. All of us were created in the image of God. And being made in, in God's image means that, that we reflect some of God's attributes. It's not to say that we physically look like God, although some of you might think that you do, I don't know. Uh, but Scripture teaches us that, that God's a spirit, and so we reflect Him spiritually. And, and here in Genesis 1, we see, we see God in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and it's what we call the Trinity, and they're working in this coordinated community to form all of creation. And one of the ways in which we bear the image of God is that we dwell within community, just like God does. And so when people see healthy biblical community, they're actually watching us display the image of God, our Creator. They're watching us bear his, his image in the, in the form of this community. Third, it's part of our identity. Both the creation example and, and the image of God example speak to our identity. Community, it's built into us as part of who we are. And it's no one, so it's no wonder that, that we long for it because God's, God's placed it into our DNA. And when we look at our text, we, we see Peter's appealing to their identity. He's appealing to our identity. In verse 9, he's speaking to the church. That's us. And he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his, for God's own possession. You know, the interesting thing about, about Peter's choice of words is that they all emphasize a corporate identity. Race priesthood, nation, people. Not one of them ha has to do with our individual identity. Sometimes we focus on the individual relationship with God and we lose sight of the fact that God's made us and, and He's called us to become part of a community. It's important that we find our identity both individually and corporately in the kingdom of God. In verse 10, we, we find out why we have this identity. It says, once you were not a people. He's saying, you had no corporate identity, but now you are God's people. You're called to be this community of Christ followers. And then he goes on and he says, once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The last half of that verse tells us about who God is and, and what He's done for us to make this possible. And it's because God has shown grace and mercy as displayed in the sacrificial life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And so God has reconciled us to Himself, giving us an identity that's rooted in Him, and God restores us to be who we were created to be and to properly bear the image of God. But just because we're made for community doesn't mean that it's going to be easy for us as it plays out. And, and Peter is very forthcoming about this in our text. 
And so community is important because we're made for it and because there's a battle being waged, he says. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. And so Peter gives us this stern warning, abstain from the passions of the flesh. It's crazy to think that if I'm not careful, my passions could be waging a war on my soul. That's some pretty tough language. And I think it's, it's no mistake that, that Peter refers then to the recipients, to those who are hearing this letter as sojourners and, and exiles, because he wants them to remember that they're temporary residents in a foreign land. And their identity is, is not to be wrapped up in, in where they dwell, but their identity is to be found in who dwells in them. Because they're, as verse 10 says, because they're God's people. They're not a people that belong to the land they're in. They're a people that belong to the one who lives in them. And so it would make sense then that as strangers, they might find themselves at odds with the values of the society that they live in. And this is exactly what Peter is warning them about. And indeed, we will experience the same thing. Sometimes the values of our society may cause us to struggle with the values that we see taught in Scripture. And we find ourselves in this sort of tug of war between the passions of, of my flesh and the passions of my spirit. And so I want to talk about this, this battle of values. And I, I realize that, that I might step on some toes here, but I hope that you see this coming out of a love for the church and not a disdain for the, for the society, the culture that we live in. My desire is, is not to demonize our society. It's not to demonize our our culture. My desire is to see it redeemed for the glory of God. And so my goal is just simply to point out that we need to walk carefully in the culture in which we live. I want to show you just a couple examples of how we see this play out uh, in our society. First of all, in our society, we value individualism. Individualism lends itself to a way of thinking like, you know what, I can handle this on my own. I don't need anyone else. I'm just looking out for what's best for me, right? The focus is very me-centric. But community asks us to look beyond our own interests. Philippians 2.4 says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So we can naturally look out for our own interests. That's easy. I'm not condemning that. But it takes a heart transformation to be preoccupied with the well-being and the needs of others. Living in community will, will challenge our tendency toward individualism. And it will stretch us to see our need for others. Secondly, our society values consumerism. We choose things based on the goods and services that we will receive. I might go to a certain restaurant because they have good food or, or I choose a certain insurance company because they have great customer service and that's fine when choosing a restaurant or an insurance company. But it can really rip us off from healthy community when, when we bring that mindset into the church. We're used to being served in our society. And consumerism can lead us to a way of thinking that views the church as simply an organization that's just meant to serve me. 
And if it's not providing good customer service, then you know what? I'll find a place that does. And the problem is that the church is, is not a business. And we're not customers. Community asks us to be serving members. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We are the church. The community of redeemed believers. Let's ask God to change the way that we view the church. Not just as, a, as an entity that exists to, to serve me, but, but I also want each of us to acknowledge that I exist to serve this community for the glory of God and the spiritual health of my fellow members. I'm not trying to make anyone feel guilty for being served. Make no mistake, there will be times when we individually need the church to serve us. And my family has been in that position many times, and this community has served us well. Here's the cool thing. If everyone is serving, then we'll all be served well. Not only is there this war of of values, but there's a a battle of of sin and isolation. Sin absolutely destroys community. If I were to sum up sin, I would say sin is just idolatry. It's exalting anything above God, making anything more valuable than God. You know, often I think when we sin, our our tendency is to isolate ourselves. And we already learned from, from Proverbs that isolating ourselves is is foolish. I'm not saying that if, if you're not part of a community, then you're obviously a very sinful human being. Don't, please don't hear me saying that. What I am saying is that when you sin, and you will sin, and I will sin, the healthiest place for, for all of us is to be among a community of gracious believers that will shepherd our heart toward Christ. I, I want to illustrate what I mean with an example from Scripture. All the way back to the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, if, if you're not familiar with this story, you can read it, in, read it in Genesis 1. But here's Adam and Eve, the first human beings. They're in this perfect relationship, perfect community with God. And then, sin. They disobey God. And they say, you know what, God? I know better than you do. This is idolatry. They're exalting themselves above God. I know what you told us to do or not do, God, but you know what? Eh, this is what I want to do. And so they, they exalt themselves. They idolize themselves. I'm going to do what I want to do, and the passion of the flesh caused them to go after the thing that God had instructed them to stay away from. You know what they did immediately following their sin? Tried to hide. They attempted to hide. So their sin drove them to isolation and hindered community with God. And if you read that, that story in Genesis, you'll see that this brokenness was passed on to their children, Cain and Abel. And you'll see that healthy community among all mankind was devastated because of sin, idolatry. And we've inherited that same brokenness. And that's why community can be such a struggle for us. We're a bunch of sinners who have a tendency to think only about ourselves. But just because community is tough doesn't doesn't mean that we should isolate ourselves or pull away from it. In fact, the worst place 
for sinners like me and like you is, is to be in isolation. God in his grace has provided a means for community to be restored. And the price that he was willing to pay shows the value that God places upon community. So community is important because God values it. God values it. Let's look at the cost of community. Nothing less than the sacrificial death of Jesus. You know, the verse we read from 1 Peter 2 tells us that we're God's community of people. Why? Because we have received mercy. And that mercy is displayed in Jesus' death on the cross. And, and here's what this sacrificial death accomplished. I want you to just, to just listen to this from Ephesians chapter 2 and just let it blow your mind. Verse 16 and then 18 through 21, it's speaking of Jesus and it says, He might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. For through Him, through Jesus... We both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens. He's talking about our community with one another being restored. He says, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Restoration of, of the community that we were created for and that displays the, the image of God like we talked about was so important to God that He sacrificed His Son in order to restore us to right relationship with Him and with one another. And not only that, but, but Jesus accomplished on the cross the death of hostility amongst believers, and he makes us fellow citizens and members of God's household. If we're going to have healthy community, we must acknowledge it'll only happen by God's grace and through faith in the redemptive work of Jesus Christ to restore our relationships. And, and when we start to get, get this gospel message, I, I mean really get it, it'll transform the way that we see community and the way that it looks in our church. You know, it's tempting, and I'll say this from, from my perspective, it's so tempting to just take a pragmatic approach to community. Okay, you know, what can we do to get more people in here on a Sunday morning? What can we do to get more people in crowded houses? What can we do to get more people in DNA groups? So that it looks like what we're doing is working. Don't get me wrong, I, I want more people in all of those areas, but I want them there for the right reasons. A solely pragmatic approach just says, well, what should we be doing? And it misses the most important foundational steps. And, and I've, I've talked about this many times before, but everything healthy in our walk with God starts with knowing God. It doesn't start with what should I be doing. And so I have these four steps that I often go through it when, I, when I read Scripture, when I preach. And it's this, who is God? What has he done? Who are we in light of who God is and what he's done? What's our identity as found in Jesus? And then finally, what should we do in light of that identity in Christ? And so it's no different with this text. And in the context of community, when we ask, who is God? 
He's the one who has called us out of darkness into the marvelous light. What has he done? He has shown mercy in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Who are we? Because of the work of Jesus, we have an identity in him. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's possession. And finally, what should we do in light of that? Because we have an identity in Christ, we live in a way that our text says they, meaning the people who don't know Jesus, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of salvation. Are you following with me here? Yeah? Okay. It's the gracious work of Christ in our lives that enables us to be what God has called us to be and to do what God has called us to do. And here's what God's called us to do. Finally, community is important because biblical community glorifies God. It puts the good news about Jesus on display. What we call the gospel, it, just, it puts it on display for all to see. And verse 12 tells us, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Pastor Brad House says in his book entitled Community, I want you to listen to this closely. He says, basically, the witness of community is more powerful than an individual witness. Loving your neighbor is much easier if you never have to deal with them. Living in light of the gospel is much harder in community where people sin against you. Your neighbors know this, and that is, that is why talk is cheap. Experiencing a people who confess their sins against one another, repent and forgive is foreign to the world. Communities that live in this way, transformed by the gospel, will not only have a good reputation among their neighbors, but also they will point them to hope in Jesus. This is a community that has joined the mission of God. That's what we want to do. My hope is that we will be a community of believers who are the gospel on display for all to see. It doesn't always look pretty because we're not perfected yet. And it means that there will be offenses and forgiveness and brokenness and reconciliation and hopefully lots of love and grace. And that's what community is. It's life on life. It's the good, the bad, the ugly. It's leading each other to and through a life-changing relationship with Jesus and his family and inviting others to be a part of that. And as we do, it's going to lead, it's going to lead us to worship. And we'll be doing what Psalm 96.3 says. We'll be declaring His glory among the nations. His marvelous works among all the peoples. Our response to God's grace is to adore Him. And when we worship Him, when we declare His glory, we're coming together as a community and we're saying, look at this God. That's why we gather together on a Sunday morning, we're, we're inviting people to see the reconciliation and, and the transformation of our lives as imperfect as it is and as much of a work in progress as we are now. And we're pointing them to Jesus and we're saying it, it's, it's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus. It's because of Jesus that we can be in a community like this. And, and as we do, it's our hope that, that people who don't know Christ will find out who God is, will find out what he's done for them. And they'll place their faith in Him, they'll find their identity in Him, and they'll worship Him. Healthy biblical community is essential because we're made for it. It's part of our identity. It's in our DNA. It's integral to our spiritual life and in the life of the church, and, 
And we get, this blows my mind, we get to reflect the image of God as we enjoy relationships with one another. I want each of us this morning to to examine our hearts and ask ourselves a few questions. Ask yourself, am I being led by the passion of my flesh? Is my identity wrapped up in Jesus or something else? My family, my career, could be a multitude of things. Am I so preoccupied with my individuality that I lose sight of the well-being of other people? Am I so concerned with being served that I forget I too have been called to serve? Have I isolated myself from community in order to keep my sin hidden? If any of those ring true to you, I I invite you to repent with me. You know, I've had to repent for taking community for granted, repent for being ruled by my frustrations about what what I don't see rather than pursuing the biblical community that God wants for me. I want to encourage each of us to acknowledge our need for restoration to God and to the community of believers. Trust in in the gracious work of Jesus to restore us. Let's enjoy that we get to be involved in seeing God glorified in the earth. We get to be the bearers of the good news of, of Jesus Christ on display for all the world to see. And and we get to rejoice together and and declare His glory among the nations. We get to declare His marvelous works among all the peoples. We get to say, look at this God, look what He's done. And as a practical step, if you're looking for a next step practically, get involved in a crowded house or a DNA group. Keep hanging out with us on, on Sunday mornings and let's figure out what this biblical community thing looks like together. Life on life. The good, the bad, the ugly. Together. For God's glory. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, thank you that you give us your word and sometimes it's it's challenging to us, Lord, and sometimes it's frustrating to us, Lord. Sometimes, sometimes I just don't get it, Lord, and, and so I've got to wrestle with what are you trying to teach us, God? I pray that by your Holy Spirit you would help us to, to uh, value community as you did. When it meant so much to you that you, you uh, would sacrifice the life of your son to reconcile us to you and to redeem and restore our relationships uh, with one another as well, Lord. Thank you that you graft us into a community. Lord, help us to see that community as, as an opportunity to bear your image and to proclaim your gospel, Lord, not just here but to the ends of the earth, Lord. We get to declare your glory, Lord, among the nations. We get to be part of what you're doing here on the earth as a community together. How awesome is that? Father, I pray that as we ask ourselves these questions this morning, that you would draw our hearts near to you, that we would see that the answers we're searching for are found in you and in you alone, Lord. 